Hello and welcome to Be a B2B Leader. I'm your host Felician and I'm a marketing manager that wants to learn more about business, marketing and leadership. Today my guest is Lily Ubaja, a content strategist for B2B SaaS companies. Lily helps companies reach their audience with content that's valuable and right where they are. So these days we have access to more data than ever before and Lily will explain how we can use it to create valuable content. So let's get started. Hi Lily and welcome to the show. Hi, hi, thank you for having me. So let's jump straight into the first topic. What should every B2B leader know about marketing and data? Um, so I think one mistake that I see going on right now in the industry is that people go and they start the foundation of their marketing using competitor data, right? Whereas you have all of this data that you can use in figuring out who your best customer is. Because the best customer is the person who will give you the best return on your investment, right? And so I feel like more B2B companies should be more invested in using their own data instead of going out there to look for data and using it to like prepare strategy and not just strategy, but like putting out original res- research to original insights that other marketers can link to. So it's like using one stone to kill two birds. Is that the way it's said? <laughs> you know, where, where the data you have, you're using it to find two your own marketing, using it to discover who your best customer is and what their pain points are so that you can optimize everything that you have to reach more of those kinds of people. And also using that data to create marketing reports, research, original insights that other marketers can link to and you know improve brand awareness and SEO for your own brand. Yeah. So what kind of data do you want to look at? So for, for me, on the research end, I'm looking at customer data, like, you know, on the sales calls, sales calls, customer success data, churn rates of a particular segment of my customers, you know, stuff like that, that tells who stays the longest with you, who spends the most with you, who gives your customer success team the least headache, <laughs> because yeah. you, you could have a big client and the the completely sucking the soul out of your customer success team and it's taking so much revenue to support them. You find out that you do not really want more of those kind of customers. And so those are the things that I'm looking at. And I'm also looking at things that I don't think a lot of companies realize this, but buying habits have changed and people no longer need to buy your product. I think if we approached marketing and growth generally as a this is what my customer wants and this is the direction where our product is going to go a lot more companies will be able to ride the tide of evolution and innovation rather than this is what my company does and this is what this is why you should buy it you know kind of like marketing your product instead of trying to understand your customer and serving them better like i think that's yeah, that we are at this breaking point right now where the companies that will adapt will really thrive in the next years, but they have to mm-hmm. be really cust- yeah, obsessed with their customers. 
mm-hmm. and the ones that will just focus on the message that's yeah, shouting me 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 we do this we do that <laughs> and all of that they will just fade away in the shadows somewhere and we will completely forget about those companies because yeah there are a number of reasons for that first of all yeah there is a crisis <laughs> second thing there is a talent war that's happening all the mm-hmm. time and if you want to have qualified employees like you have to focus on the culture and third of all like as you said the way buyers buy has changed like people don't want to jump on a discovery call just because they vis- visited one of your pages like True. they want and, to educate they're, themselves they're, there's so many options right now so it's very easy for a buyer to jump ship if they feel like they're not being heard and that the company is not taking what feedback they've shared and you know iterating on it and improving on it and so like those are the kind of things that I, I really want to look out for those are the things that I think more companies should look out for yeah so how can you use that data that you gather to better serve your customers I think the first and uh, foremost thing that we should do with that data is pass some of them along to the product team so our customers are saying, yeah, yeah. Our customers <laughs> are saying that this, you know, okay, let me give this example. I create a product and this is something that I've seen happen with one of my clients, right? I create mm-hmm. a product and I think that it serves this need, right? And so I go out there and I start saying, you know, um, this is how to do this with this product. Whereas when I dig into customer insights, I find that my ideal buyer, the person who is like my dream client, mm-hmm. is not actually who I thought they were. And they, they didn't find me through what I thought they were searching for. Like what they call my product is completely different from what I think my product is. Mm-hmm. And this is a pattern that I see. Um, and this is the pattern remember this is a hypothetical example this is a pattern yeah. that i've seen throughout all of my best customers right yeah. and so i take that data and i start yeah. optimizing my products to better serve that um that use case that my best buyers are yeah. reaching out to me for my marketing and everything yeah. begins to to align with that use case that my best buyers are finding me for. And I understand that it can be tricky because lots of companies have several best buyers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah? Like uh, that's something yeah. that I wanted to ask you, like what happens if there are different people that search different things, but want the same thing exactly? Yeah, yeah. And I, the way we do it is to say, I think Canva is a great example of a company that does this really well. So I used to be a blogger. And when I, when I was um, a blogger, and I would look for graphic design tools, I would see Canva get mentioned a lot. And I would click to their their sales page and all of that. During that whole process, throughout that whole process, I honestly didn't know that Canva existed for anything beyond blogging, you know, creating graphics Mm -hmm. for your blog. And that was because they spoke to me as, you know, as specifically as they could to an ICP. And they had, now that I'm a marketer, I know that they have, other ICPs that they've created, they've tailored that journey to. Like, if I was looking for design templates, for example, Canva has several landing pages, depending on who you are. 
<laughs> so if yeah. you're looking for design templates for bloggers, Canva has a landing page for you that is tailored to, you know, the stuff you see on the page. You can't imagine any other person using it. And then if you're, you're looking yeah. for um, a graphic design tool as, say, a business or a graphic designer, Canva has another page for you. And so, like, mm -hmm. it's thinking of your audience as several audiences of one person. Several audiences of one. I love this. Several audiences of one. I, and how do you profile your best customers? So what things do you want to look at? So it, it kind of ties back into the, the previous question you asked, kind of the data that I'm... I think for me, my not start is I want to I want to profile people who are so I'm first of all I'm looking for in either my um HubSpot or whatever CRM I use mm -hmm. I'm looking for the people who stay the longest, the people who spend the most, the people who give the customer success team the least headache, the people who yeah. close the but, fastest. But like, no go yeah, on. Yeah, like I want to yeah, and just switch the question like. What kind of yeah customer details do you want to look at? So do you want to look at their location? Do you want to look at the company size, etc.? Or yeah, it... yeah. So I don't really care about location, but company mm -hmm. size is something I've seen that you know can be can show semblance between different types of profiles. Another thing I'm really looking for is the industry that these clients are in. For example, mm -hmm. if I were selling a project management tool and I find out that most of my um, best clients are freelancers, you know that a freelancer has a, a business size of probably one to five people on their team if they're subcontracting, right? Then some mm -hmm. of them, in, in freelance writing, they're probably different niches, right? And maybe the people who pay the most are in the marketing technology industry, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe there are a certain type of company. Maybe there are, there are companies that are very interested in tech for good. Their motivations are kind of similar. So, does it, assuming you you um, profile, you survey your customers, probably when they join you, when they onboard, or when they've been with you for a while, or like when they leave. If you ask why they found you. You might begin to see some similarities between some of them, why they chose you rather. Say so, someone may have chosen you because they feel like you're doing a better job for the environment. Mm -hmm. And even if that wasn't in your positioning before, when you see this recurring several places, you realize that you just have to put this in your positioning because these yeah. people who, who are your best customers, they say... Yeah, they, they are looking because, for that. Yes. Yeah. And so it, it's stuff like, like that. Like, I think that's the thing with positioning, that often those small details that we think that, yeah, they don't make a difference, they really make the biggest difference for our customers. True. 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 So it's not like you're looking for anything specific. And I think customer research should be approached with an open mind. Yeah, the basics, company size, industry, and all of that stuff. But also, I think the most important thing is what are the similarities that I'm seeing within a segment of my customers? 
I think that's the smart, smartest way to profile your customers, right? So if something yeah. comes up often, that's something to note. And then we're asking who are the people who mention this thing as often as this? If they're a similar kind of people and they are your best fit client, then you're onto something. And do you think that can it can apply to all com yeah, all sorts of companies? So even companies that have a very long sales cycle and rely on yeah, a handful of customers, let's say. But their deals are so big that uh, yeah. Just a few customers yeah. are enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I believe so too. Yeah, so going to events and interviewing yeah, your dream customers there and networking with them in general to learn about the things that they yeah learn about the things that they are looking for in software providers in vendors etc i feel like that is a very effective uh, way to go in the beginning before you've had any customers any sizable amount of customers yourself because the first set of data that you have is going to be, I mean, it has to come from somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I'm in that process myself right now because I've, I just started the transition from um, writing and strategy to strategy alone for brands. And so I've been speaking more often with people that I deem to be my ideal customer. But here's what I know yeah. is that these people might change along the line. And that's what anyone who is starting with um strategy should understand is that in the beginning you're going to go out there to the people who you think are your dream clients like you mm -hmm. said maybe at networking events and whatever and just try to understand how to sell to them and then when you start to sell to these people when they start buying from you that's when you start digging into your own data to find out of these people who i think are my dream clients is there a specific profile a unique profile amongst all of them that seems to be my best buyer, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Like, there is another important thing that you mentioned. Like, mm -hmm. the people we want to go after first, yeah, our ideal customers may change over time. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that we should always look at the data to see if it's not the right time to change our messaging, if it's not the right time to switch up the content that we have. Because, uh, yeah, we can go after someone, but then realize that someone completely different is buying from us. Yeah, true. And that, that's kind of why I don't, you know, I, I told you last time that I, I typically recommend sales before marketing. <laughs> yeah. And that's, yeah, because you can invest a ton of, um, money a ton of resources into creating marketing assets and then you find out later that the, the icp you've created this at least the way that i do it because the, the the marketing resources that i create is usually very specific because i find that it converts better that way and then you've created this entire resource and you find that it's not exactly for who you intended it to be yeah so for me, yeah. I think the best approach is to, when you discover, like if you're just starting out, you discover who you're best, you're, you decide who you want to target, you know, your dream clients, you ask them stuff and sell to them, get yeah. some data. Of course, you need some content 
But whatever content yeah. you're creating at that point should be sales enablement content, content that describes how your tool works and how it solves problems. It can be very vague at that point. Like it doesn't need to mention a specific ICP at that point, or it may mention the ICP that you're going after your dream clients in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then when you get the data from these people, when you actually figure out what the data says is your ideal client and the reasons why they are um, using your product, then you can start to reposition yourself and start going hard on marketing for those people, for more of those people. And when you start going after the first clients, like how do you learn where they hang out online? Because yeah, there are lots of communities, there are lots of platforms. Your customers can be basically anywhere. So how do you learn where they are? So, so you appear in the same places. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, so the most basic way to do it would be to go on Google and search for Dash communities. And you'll see lots yeah. of posts talking about some of the best communities. But I find that you'd find the hidden ones, the ones that no one is talking about that are really, really cool just by stalking, stalking out on social media and probably putting out a prompt on social media. You could ask if you have a decent enough following on social media to start with them. Mm -hmm. But then there are also tools that do this, that handle this specifically, tools like Audience and SparkThrough. You could use these things to find um, the influencers in the community that you're looking for. And I think one pretty effective way to, to go from there would be to connect with one of the people that you've found through Spectre or audience and just people are human beings. Just be like, hi, um, so you're, I see you're very active in this community. I'm trying to break into this place. What would be your top three communities where I can learn more about people like you? I don't see anyone who's going to ignore um, a message like that. If you've, try to at least engage with them before. Yeah, like that's a very good point. Like usually people are willing to help us, but we just mm -hmm. have to ask. And yeah we, yeah, we just have to ensure that our message doesn't look like spam. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah, once you know where those people hang out. So do you want to just be part of this community and yeah, engage every now and then? Or how do you approach yeah, building that, yeah, building your brand in that space? So for me, I think the smartest thing to do would be to not engage immediately. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> um, if you're new in a community, you don't know what their rules are, especially when you join a, a bunch of communities at the same time. You don't really mm -hmm. know, um, like you don't know the space completely. And so you want to integrate yourself slowly, in my opinion. The only exception to this would be if you've been in a similar community and then you just found this one. You know that there's a lot that you can bring from the other one into this place. And so you can quickly mm -hmm. introduce yourself. I mean, you can always introduce yourself even when you don't know what the community is, how the community runs. I think the caution that I would take with introducing first would be, you know, when people just, if, 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 for example, you say I'm a vendor in this 
market and I'm looking to learn yeah. more about. <laughs> I mean, people would probably avoid you <laughs> because they feel yeah. like you have something to, to sell them, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> and so that that is, I think that is why I would not uh, advocate introducing yourself, except people already know you so much in the space or you have something of intense value that is free, like no opt-in that you can give to them immediately. So apart from that, slowly watch, see, listen to the questions that are being answered, listen to the way um, the people, the language that they use, the way they interact with themselves. And then say after a week or two, begin to engage. Mm-hmm. Sharing your expertise, living and leaving insightful comments and stuff yeah. like that. So do you think that you should yeah, share the content you produce with that within that community? I think there's a time to do that. It's either yeah. at your introduction or after you've been known to be someone who is who is helpful in that community. Otherwise it's just seen as spam. You could also do that in the comments, right? If someone is talking about something that you know very well, so you leave a, a very detailed answer, like they don't have to click the link that you include because the answer you've given completely answers their question. But like the link is just there for further learning. Yeah, that's a good point because people don't want to leave the platforms. Like, sure. yeah, we now have the term zero click content and <laughs> it's everywhere but we yeah it's a nice segue to the next topic that i want to talk with you about because there is also this topic of zero volume keywords could you explain what they are and yeah what role they play in seo in general so i, I think that zero volume keywords are super important even though like lots of SEOs may want to, to stay away from them. First of all, the keyword research tools are not accurate. Yeah. Say a month or two ago, if you had searched for chat GPT on one of our keyword research tools, the volume might have been zero, right? Yeah. But as at, as at the time when it launched, which was, was it a month or two ago? As at the time when it launched, yeah. the key the keyword volume would have been zero, right? For probably a month or two before the search engines, the uh, keyword research tools began to catch up. But this was something that billions of people were already using, right? Yet the search volume was still at zero. So like, first of all, the keyword research tools are inaccurate. Secondly, keyword um, research volume can fluctuate between these tools. I find Keywords Everywhere, which is probably the cheapest SEO tool out there to have more accurate data. Like it feels like it's more, it's faster with collecting data compared to other tools like SEMrush or RFs. And so like you could be searching in RFs or in SEMrush and you see a zero. Whereas if you used Keywords Everywhere, there's such volume for that. And the final thing is, And let me use an example from me personally, say the (laughs) Lima framework, (laughs) let's say the Lima framework, right, for content writing. It probably has zero search volume. 
there are people out there who who have read my Semrush thread, who have read my newsletter, and they've gone out there and they've they've searched about it. Right. I want to be first when they when they search, because when I'm first for a keyword like that, they are looking for something specific. I think this person knows what they want. They are ready to act. And so me being there at that moment when they're ready to act means that I get the buy. Thousands of keyword volume, um, say someone who's searching for, say, best desktops. Oh, this is not a very good example, but like something with a very high search volume, right? Yeah, like more common <laughs> keywords. Yeah. So they 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 are probably at the very, very top of a funnel right now. And then they keep on searching. And the number of people who are searching reduces the further they, the closer they get to the funnel, to the end of the funnel, if there's an end, like the yeah. closer they get to buying, the fewer there are there are people searching. Yeah. So the thing with zero volume keywords, I think, is that you target an keyword that's basically not searched by anyone, but it's searched by a very small niche of people that are really interested in it. So it can apply to thought leadership, for example, where the topic is not searched by thousands of people, but the 20 people in the world that are actually interested in it, they can be your best customers. True. So I think that's an even bigger reason to target those keywords. And it shows True. that you yeah, have a really good understanding of your customers. Exactly. And it's also like, you know, it's very specific and there's less competition generally. Yeah. And that's what we are looking for. Less competition and more recognition. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lily, it was great to have you. Please Thank tell you. me, who should I interview next? Um. So... I really like Fadeke. I want to hear what she has to say. Fadeke Adebuyu, she used to be the content manager at Boost, and then she went to Spotify, Shopify. I don't know where she is right now. Awesome. Like I'm look, looking forward to an introduction or something. Yeah. So maybe I will get to interview her. And please tell the audience where they can find you and how can you help them? Um, okay, so I'm a content strategist. My specialty is customer-led content. If you didn't already notice with all these, <laughs> find your best customer that I was just talking <laughs> about. Yeah, so um, I've helped brands like WordPress, HubSpot, and Zapier create content that is specific to their ICP. And that is what I offer businesses. You can learn more about it's on my website, liliobarjo.com. And you can also look at, you know, some of my um, content on marketingcyborg.com. There's a framework that everyone is raving around about right now in the industry, the Lima framework. I have it up there. Yeah. So um, yeah, people can just go take that right now and start using it to create better content, especially now that AI saturated content is everywhere. And then also you can find me on social media, Mastodon, LinkedIn, Twitter, at Lily Barger. 
Awesome. I will include all the links in the description. And yeah, thank you very much for the great interview. It was a pleasure to thank have you. you as a guest. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Felician. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be a B2B Leader. If you liked this episode, make sure to leave a review in your favorite podcast app. Also, if there is something you would like to learn, let me know. After all, we are building a knowledge base for B2B.